Yeah, that's the solution is to provide more value because, you know, I'll see artists complain about, you know, streaming platforms and they'll fight back against that by, you know, not putting their music, not making their music available or trying to charge more, making people feel bad for not paying more for their music. And you feel bad because there's something to that. You do put all this hard work into your music and it does feel like it's been, you know, commoditized and it's been devalued. But the answer isn't to then not participate and to withhold and be restrictive. I think it's to how can I give more value? It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with my new friend, Reagan Ram. So Reagan has been writing, recording, mixing music since 2011. He received a degree in audio engineering in 2019 from Unity Gain Recording Institute, and that's when he started the Orpheus Audio Academy, where he helps indie music producers create pro-quality music from home using budget equipment. And it's his mission to help creatives make a living doing the work that they love so they can make more time for those who matter most and be able to you know, focus on their music and doing it in a way that is sustainable and allows them to make a bigger impact. So I'm excited to connect with them today and, and talk through a little bit of, you know, one, you know, right now it's such an amazing time to be a creator because of the ability that we have to create high quality music at home and the tools that we have access to. But it's also really important to figure out how to kind of cut through the noise and how to reach people and how to have the right mindset to be able to you know, stick with it when times when times are tough or when things are challenging. And so I think it's kind of a valuable perspective to share. So Reagan, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Yeah, it's great being here, Michael. It's a big honor being on the podcast. So this is great and really excited to be on here. Absolutely. So to uh, kick things off, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and just how you got started with Orpheus Academy and learning what you share now. Yeah, I'd probably say I'm one of the least likely people to be doing music right now. So growing up, didn't have really any experience with music. The only experiences I did have were really negative, right? Public school, music class, being embarrassed, even some bullying associated with that. So like, I don't want anything to do with music. But then I did play a computer game when I was a kid called Sim Tunes. I'm like, hey, this is kind of fun. Like these little musical instruments move around the screen and you put down these colored dots, which were notes, which I didn't know at the time. And you, you can make songs, which I only made noise. But every once in a while, a couple notes would sound good together. And I'm like, hey, I'm making music. And that kind of blew my mind that I could make music on a computer. Fast forward, I saw my dad making music for the first time. And he was using, you know, what I know now is a digital audio workstation. I'm like, hey, it's kind of like Sim Tunes. Like he has a MIDI keyboard. If I could just hit some notes on a keyboard, maybe I can make something that sounds good. And so that's how I got started, really. Didn't know any of the notes were, didn't know any of the keys were, didn't know an A was or a C or a D or whatever. And I just started playing notes. I'm like, hey, I discovered these keys kind of sound good together and these keys kind of sound good together. And hmm. I didn't even know how to quantize. So all my music was out of sync and not in time and is impossible to listen to. But for some reason, I liked it just because I felt like I was the last person in the world that should be making music. And I was actually making stuff that I kind of enjoyed. And so that's kind of how I got started. And so I went later, some friends of mine were recording an album. They were a group of sisters at a singing group. And so I'm like, hey, you know, I offered to record and mix and master their song for them. So that's kind of how I got my first gig. I ended up marrying one of the sisters. So that worked out pretty well as well. And that's kind of when I realized, you know, I really want to do this. I want to get good at this. So I ended up going to school, as you mentioned, and got a degree in audio engineering. And then I decided, hey, I want to help others do the same thing. So I started Orpheus Audio Academy, and that's where we are now. Very cool. Yeah, th thanks for sharing that. And it, it kind of reminds me of my, my own journey. I think a lot of us can probably relate to kind of stumbling along and you know, creating music that, you know, looking back now, we can be like, that just is noise. <laughs> like, that didn't even sound mm -hmm. good at all. That's so bad. But at the time, there, there's you know, something really magic about it, about the creative process, about discovering it, kind of getting your footing. And uh, yeah, I, th I think it's awesome that you're able to, you go through this yourself and then you'll be able to share you know, some of the lessons that you learned from schooling, from education with people who may not have time or desire to fully go to college or school to learn music engineering, but still have a huge opportunity to be able to leverage some of those learning lessons that you discovered. 
so the next question would be now you're having gone through this yourself and you're learning how to produce and engineer and also working with others and you're know, seeing the challenges that they, they come up to to as it relates to both you know creating music and also just you know, music success in general what do you say are some of the biggest challenges or roadblocks that you see people coming up against most often now yeah that's a great question and honestly it probably is something that's maybe not as obvious, but I think it comes down to mindset and some false beliefs that people have around music that blocks them from progress. Number one, just when it comes to maybe like music production, thinking that you need a lot of expensive equipment or you need a lot of expensive acoustic treatment, you know, nice studio to be able to make anything that sounds good. Thinking that, you know, you have to have, you do have to have like an expensive education to be good. You have to be able to go to college or something or that you need to have some kind of, you know, special musical gifting or something. I think those are all false beliefs when it comes to, you know, equipment. The equipment today is so good. The budget equipment is so good. It's better than, you know, what the Beatles had back in the day. Now, I mean, today they're making plugins, right? They're versions, software versions of the Beatles equipment because we do like that kind of vintage lo-fi sound. But if you just look at it objectively, the equipment we have today in, in your laptop is, you know, better than what they had in the full recording studio, you know, several decades ago. And then as far as like education, there's so much great education out there online. You don't need to go to college. I did go to college, but my college experience was unique in that I learned at an actual commercial recording studio and my instructor was actual owner of the studio. I recorded real bands as part of my education. So college is great, but... This is also maybe a little controversial, but I think increasingly for a lot of people, college is a scam and you don't, I, I very much value education is huge, but schooling a lot of the times is not the best way to get it. I would say more so mentorship is vital, maybe over schooling. Now every school is different. So what are your options there? But that's why I think my education was so valuable because it was an accredited college. I did get a degree. And so you kind of have that piece of paper to say that you know something, but really the real value came from the mentorship I got, being able to ask questions. There's a small class, being able to actually learn in a console and record actual artists. So if you can get some kind of mentorship, I would say that would be more valuable. And it's also going to be probably way less expensive, ironically. And then like having talent, like again, like me, like I didn't have a lot of talent or skill. I got into the game kind of later. It wasn't until I was like 18 when I really started making music. And Right. We don't say this when it comes to like a doctor, like, I don't know if I have the talent to be a doctor, right? No, you know, if you get good grades in school and you get into a decent university and you spend four years and you do a residency, right, you'll be a doctor, right? I think the same thing is with music. If you put in the time and the investment that you would put into, say, being a doctor, you can be a successful musician. And that is the biggest one, I think. The biggest obstacle is people think you just can't have success today as a musician. Just the other day, I was... Actually, just yesterday, I was watching, I don't know if you've seen it, that hilarious uh, interview that Stephen Colbert did with Eminem like 10 years ago, and he was pretending not to know who he was. And he was like, you know, what's your fallback? You know, what are you going to do? You know, music doesn't pay the rent. You know, what are you going to do when the dream dies? Got to have that, you know, how are you going to have that retirement account? It's, it's pretty hilarious, but that's kind of the idea we have that either you're going to be a starving artist or, you know, you have to be someone like Taylor Swift or Eminem or some huge artists to have success. Otherwise, you're just going to be a starving artist and you can't be successful. And so if you can't be successful, why put in the time? Why buy all that expensive equipment, right? It just becomes a, an expensive hobby and it's hard to justify putting in the time. What they don't realize is there actually is an emerging what I call music middle class now where you actually can have success. Maybe you're not going to be like huge and famous that everyone knows, but you can make a decent income and have a dedicated following in that musician middle class. So I think those are like some of the biggest roadblocks and it really all comes down to mindset and these false beliefs that really block people from making progress. Mm. So good. Yeah, there's a couple of really good points in there. Uh, to go uh, deeper on the one that you just shared, uh, I, I, that's so true. Like the, there's so, sort of a old model of the music industry, which I mean, to be fair, it was kind of the way that it used to be with you know, record labels and sort of it sort of took either like you were a big established artist or there wasn't really that middle class as much right. as there is now like you're describing. And so yeah, I feel like how this comes across for a lot of people is it's like they think that either you're a household name, you're like Taylor Swift, you're Ed Sheeran, 
or you're not a successful musician, which obviously couldn't be further from the truth. It's not like you recognize every uh, lawyer, you recognize the name of every right. uh, you know basketball player, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you know they're not successful, or they're not making a six-figure or even seven-figure income. So that is a really valuable, I think, mindset shift is sort of recognizing that you don't necessarily have to be Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran. And, you know, if you have big goals, if you want to be like you know, number one in the world, that's ambitious and it's, a, you know, it can be inspiring. It can be a good thing to aim for if that's who you want to be. But you don't have to reach that bar in order just to be a success. So the other point that you brought up that I think is worth discussing a little bit more is around college and sort of the role of education and sort of the landscape as we're having this conversation now is even, you know, this platform that what we're on right now in the academy that you've created and online education and YouTube, it's su such a game changer in terms of how we learn and how we evolve. AI nowadays as well is an amazing tool that's starting to you know, For sure. yeah. take off. So I, I totally agree that right now we're in a unique place where it seems like there's a huge opportunity for disruption in the education system, specifically like the post high school, college education, where you have exactly. to go into debt, $40,000 to learn theories and ideas. And there's something about, you know, valuable about the experience that, you know, the, you know, being out on your own and kind of like learning and, you know, and socializing. But I, I totally agree. I think that mentorship and you know, getting some real world rounds with people who are doing the thing that you want to be doing and right. learning from them is so, so much more valuable than reading a book and getting graded and tested on your ability to recall a fact from a date and then you forget it you know, in like a week or two. Um, yeah, yeah. I went to the Ohio State University for a whole year, so two semesters. So I did get the traditional college experience. It's one of the biggest public universities you know, in the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I also, I mean, I got into the, the honors program at the business school. So like, this is it, right? This is you know, it's one of the like, top 15 business college. And I'm like, wasn't that impressed really. I'm like, I could be learning, I could learn this stuff somewhere else. Like, for example, I was taking a calculus class and it, I was having a hard time understanding it. And I was finding, I was getting more help when I went online or went to Khan Academy or these other resources that are online. And I mean, that's kind of the nice thing about the online world is it's kind of, it does follow, you know, the positive aspects of capitalism and that, you know, the cream rises to the top. Whereas in a public school system, a lot of it, you have like tenure or you have these unions where that keep a lot of, right. We all have experience with teachers that maybe weren't the best that maybe shouldn't have been teaching, but also some great teachers as well. And maybe they should have been making even more money. Maybe if they had an online course, they could have been making more money, but mm. I just don't want to get, you know, off in the weeds there, but yeah. I think there's so many that's, great resources online now. That's a great point. Yeah. I think that the role of teacher is like super undervalued in our public you know, education system and a lot of colleges. And that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't really thought about that, but that probably is one of the reasons that online education and, you know, business focused education you know, has a tendency to be able to, you know, to rise to the top because of the principles of capitalism. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts around, you know, we just touched on AI and at the time of recording this, AI is sort of having its heyday. And it's OpenAI, ChatGPT, and AI tools all across the board are starting to come up and completely changing the game and, and changing the scope of what's possible for us to do as musicians, just as like humans. So I'd be curious to hear, obviously this is a little bit like reading the crystal ball or the, the tea leaves, but yeah. you know, as it relates to music production specifically, or just music in general, do you have any... Well, like, what's your perspective on the current landscape of AI and where things are headed? And if someone's listening to this right now and they're looking at, you know, how do I stay on top of this in a way that I don't get overwhelmed, but allows me to really leverage the benefits of AI, what would your advice be for them? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question for sure. I've been trying to learn more about this myself. And what I've come across is, I can't remember the exact terminology, but whenever there's like a new groundbreaking technology you have a lot of hype in the beginning, but the hype doesn't match the functionality, doesn't match, doesn't uh, live up to the hype, in other words. And so then usually you have a dip where a lot of people start to abandon this. So you can think about like when the internet first came about and people were talking about this is going to change everything, right? I'm thinking of Stranger Things season four when they're 
first getting onto the, the internet and the, the kids are like, what's that? Like, this is the internet. It's only going to change the world. But right when the fir- first internet came around, right, it didn't, couldn't do very much, right? You're like, what's the point of this, right? A lot of people are like, this isn't going, this isn't going to, this is a fad. This isn't going to go anywhere. And you see some people saying that about AI, but you have that dip. But then as that functionality catches up, then it just takes off and it becomes just commonplace. So I think that's what's going to happen with AI. I think right now we're in that beginning hype and AI does still have a lot of functionality right now, though. But I think you are going to see that dip, but then eventually it's going to come roaring back. But on a practical level, when it comes to AI, there's still a lot of ways you can use it today to help you, like even chat GPT for helping you come up with song ideas. Like even you could like type in that, give me a concept album idea for your genre or whatever, and it can give you a bunch of ideas. So it can be a shortcut definitely for coming up with ideas, coming up with for lyrics as well. So if you want to like have a, a song that's like on a certain theme, you can say, hey, give me different words. So you just kind of can be a helper and like jog your memory and give you ideas as well. So there's a lot of ways to use it on that front. Also, you know, marketing and promotion, there's a lot of AI tools that can help you create social media content. So there's tons of ways to use it. Also music production itself, there's all kinds of AI tools coming out now. One of the best companies out there is Isotope. They have a bunch of AI built into their tools. Now, my mentor who, right, who I mentioned earlier, who owns his own studio and he's been producing since the, the late seventies and in the music industry since the late seventies, He's very wary of these tools because it does kind of block you from really learning what's going on if you're just clicking a button. And it's not, at this point in time, not as good as if you're actually knowing what you're doing and actually getting back to the fundamentals of mixing and so on. So, But they can definitely be a time saver. So I would say definitely use it and see it as your friend, but don't become completely reliant on it, at least not right now. Yeah, great advice. Really interesting too to sort of just map out this is a, a tech, technological revolution and kind of looking at previous ones and how did we respond to it and how did it, how did it result? Like the internet, like you mentioned, is, is a good example. But as it relates to music production, it seems like a good, a really good reference is DAWs and the digital mm-hmm. audio workstation. And there was a lot of skepticism and reluctance and hesitance to go from an analog, you know, workstation to creating a in-the-box production environment and you know it, there were a lot of things and, and still like depending on the setup you might find people who are kind of purists or, or really want to keep everything you know analog and in some things it is good to have outbound equipment but it does seem like in the box and digital stuff is just totally the way to go these days and you get so many benefits and you know if you're able to adapt to it and like you're mentioning I, it, it does seem like AI and AI related tools are probably going to follow a similar path where people are going to be kind of scared or reluctant, especially if they're kind of ingrained in a certain habit or a way of doing things. But, you know, if you, it's like an equalizer, it's like an equalizer where it can take people who are earlier on and you can really like shortcut and get a lot of uh, extra momentum and time versus someone who maybe has been doing it their whole life. If you're able to adapt quickly. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think AI is going to be replacing humans, but if you're not using it as part of your workflow, you're going to be left behind, I think. Mm-hmm. So you got to yeah. kind of learn how to see it as like a, a tool that you can use. Mm. Totally. And you mentioned, you know, a few ideas for using it for kind of brainstorming ideas, like brainstorming song ideas or album ideas or emails that you might send out for marketing or yes. a social media content calendar campaign. And I just want to plus one to that. Like I've been using ChatGPT for like eight hours a day, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's always on my, it's on one of my monitors. Like I have it literally up on, on one of my monitors right now. And it is insanely useful. There's a, for anyone that's watching this or listening to this right now, who's a member of our artist development suite and has street team, we also have a free version of what we call artist AI that essentially is like ChatGPT, but it's custom trained for musicians. So you can use that and it's free included in street team on the, on the tab. If you want to play around with it without paying for the $20 a month, it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. But I mean, it's basically like ChatGPT. It's just a mm-hmm. little bit more, it's tuned for musicians and it's you built into Street Team and it doesn't cost the $20 a month. It's just included in Street Team. But gosh, yeah, I've been using it so much. And I, I would say no exaggeration. It's 
increased my productivity output by a factor of a hundred times. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But like you said, it's also important to like, I've heard it described this way that it can get you from zero to 80 really quickly. Like it can do it in like a few seconds, you know, and going from zero to 80, you know, in a lot of cases can take a l- long time. You know, if you're writing a song, you know, that, that's about 80% of the work is like going from zero to, to 80. But then it does seem like, at least right now, we still kind of need that last 20% for like a human to come in who's really good at what they're doing. They can kind of fine tune it and right. can yeah, I mean, you can even finish line. have chat GP say, hey, write me lyrics for my song and it will give you a verse. It'll give you a chorus. It'll give you a second verse, another chorus. It'll give you a bridge. Perfect song structure. Even some of the lyrics and they are pretty good. But as a whole, there's going to be stuff that doesn't quite make sense or it doesn't quite have the rhyming pattern or just there's too many words in there or just some of the lyrics are kind of cheesy and corny. So, but it can get you, like you said, kind of like 80% of the way there. And then you can kind of tweak things, move things around, add in, give you some new ideas like, hey, I like that concept, but here's how I can make it better. So it can definitely just, it just speeds up your workflow so much using it. Absolutely. As you're saying that, I actually just asked it to write a song about how awesome ChatGPT is. Right. And you can do it in the style it, of Bob Dylan or in the style of whoever your favorite artist yeah, is. Yeah. Should we do it in the style of someone in particular so we can play on with that? Or, or maybe we just do it. I'm not that good at doing impressions. I probably wouldn't be able to get one on the spot, but I could do it. In a world so vast and wide with data deep and wide. There's a digital mind with answers we find. ChatGPT. Okay, I, I was thinking about. I was like, "Am I really going to go through this entire song right now and play the whole thing?" And I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, not going to subject everyone to it. Good. But looking through it right now, I mean, like you mentioned, it's like zero to eighty, zero to eighty immediately. But definitely some stuff in here that's a little cheesy or that I would like tweak or play around with. So. We're not out of the game yet, humans. Like, we're still here. But, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. It's It'll be interesting to watch how things develop over the next five to ten years. It, oh, it does yeah. seem like there's, <clears throat> there's probably going to be some pretty big disruptions or, like, revolutions. Yeah. Or at least there's going to be a lot more, like, a vacuum, I think. A vacuum where we used to spend our time and energy doing certain things that can be completely replaced. By. Yeah. And it's not like... That means that now we're going to be replaced by AI. It just means that now we don't have to do those things. And so there's some space there where we used to do that thing. And right. now we can use that space to do it'd be like else. It'd be like if you, whatever job you have, go into the library to do your research instead of using the internet. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to succeed. You need to use the internet to research. <laughs> so absolutely, it's kind of be like that way with AI. And so talking about revolutions, I think another one that's within music is that the as AI vocalists get better i don't know if you've seen the tool law walls there's other ones out there where like you can sing something and then it will, you can change your vocals to be some you know famous singer or rapper like drake or eminem or even past singers like michael jackson or freddie mercury and it's pretty mm-hmm. good like there's some artifacts in there but it definitely sounds like them so where's that going to be in five years you know that's just wild yeah i mean obviously there's some uh, valid concerns around uh misinformation sort of in like political uses of technology to oh yeah deepfakes. deepfakes yeah but in a non-violent or non like deceptive way it's really interesting to think about where that technology could be used for like i don't know if i could co-write a song and perform with john lennon you know just because i'm a john lennon fan like and i want to do a duet with him and it's in the style of john lennon that would be really cool. And yeah, and as long as it's not it's done in the correct way, it's like, yeah, why not? Why not do yeah. that? You know, you need to have the rights probably from the initial holders of the character yeah. of I John Lennon. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't know. Can you copyright a voice, the sound of a voice? I think that's the question that we're that's asking right now. To, yeah, we'll have society. to start asking that, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's, it seems like th- this is an evolving situation right now as, as we're recording it. But I, I know that this is like a big question that they've been asking: is like, is can we copyright someone's likeness? And I know that the strike, like the Hollywood writers' strike and the actors' strike, was at least one of the main components. Now is like based around 
using someone's likeness and how right. do we, you know, how do we compensate for that and how do we protect against, you know, people being replaced entirely. And it's a hard one. I, I also know that there's, it's one thing if you're, I don't know, replicating, if you create like a Drake, AI, an AI version of Drake, but this AI version of Drake sounds like him, can write you know, music that is at the same, a similar level as Drake, but it doesn't require him to like spend time and energy doing it and it never gets tired it just like goes 24 7 and it can brainstorm a hundred different ideas in the time that it took to do like one idea then it, it is kind of an interesting question of what happens in that scenario like do, does what is drake's role if there's you know a, a data set that was trained up on drake that can I think it kind of comes back to the root of what we were talking about earlier of the zero to 80 kind of thing mm -hmm. and kind of that last, and, and maybe that 20% becomes more like 10% or 5% or 1% right. or half a percent. But maybe it's just like we all have to become curators of, you know, our digital persona, our digital avatar. And, you know, it brainstorms a thousand different ideas. Like, you know, Michael, based on your life's data and based on your personality and based on, you know, your feelings and your values and your situation, we've generated 100 song ideas for you that we think you'd resonate with. Here are some key, you know, ideas for you. And we've written, you know, 10 different versions of the songs. Let us know which one of these do you like better. And if it knows you well enough, then I don't know, maybe it could create a personalized path for you. And then you could just kind of choose which one's your favorite which would also train it to get better at knowing who you are so maybe it would just be a leverage tool like it would just it would help you to make you know quicker better decisions but literally you just have to use your thoughts and use your brain to like guide it in the right direction right because yeah it seems like right now and for the foreseeable future ai can only replicate what's already been created we still you still need humans to create new things at least for now <laughs> We'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah, it's super interesting. I, I know that that's one of the that's one of the limitations right now is around like its ability to create new science because it's fed on our existing data sets. At the same time, I'm just like I wonder exactly what that limitation really is, just because it seems like it's certainly creating new content. It's creating new original content at least from a creative output right yeah right like it creates songs that don't exist before even though it's trained on like existing data but i don't know if that if there's a fundamental difference between it being able to create new songs based on that training data versus having like original thoughts like how do we define original thoughts how do we find original thoughts of our own <laughs> you know like do we yeah. have truly original thoughts or are we you know a factor that was created by our upbringing and our influences and our idols, you know, it's yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah. Even back when I think it was the book of Ecclesiastes was written, it said in the Bible, it said, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. I, I think there is a lot of truth to that sentiment that, you know, we all are, we're, we're sort of like the baby of all of our influences. Yeah, I like to think about it in terms of like a mind map or a tree with roots. And it's sort of like we have all these branches, all these branches that are connected to different you know, influences that we have. And that's why we have to be so important about who we spend our time with and who we just surround ourselves with because we those are all branches that kind of absorb up into you, into who, who you are. So it does seem like, yeah, like there's, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's like something separate from everyone and everything else. We're getting super metaphysical here. Yeah. yeah it seems that, like yeah. It seems like the originality comes from the unique combination of elements that have already existed. I used to mm -hmm. teach creative writing and that was a big concern was how do I write an original story? Because every time someone would come up something, oh, oh, that's like this or oh, it's like that. Or same thing with music, you write a song and, it's, and someone's gonna think this is so unique, but someone can come around and say, oh no, that sounds like this artist and that artist. And you're like, ah. Oh. Well, I don't think that's really what you should be striving for to create something that's like super unique. You're not really going to do that. It's going to be similar to something else. Where the uniqueness comes is I think your unique spin on it. What different elements do you combine? Combining genres is really popular. Write your own unique voice or everyone's voice sounds different, uh, at least until AI copies you. So, But I think that is where you create the uniqueness comes in is how you approach the given ingredients that you have.
Mm, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, so it's really the, you have these different branches, but it's how those come together to form this new expression that is actually the unique thing. Knowing that you have four kids, you know, this analogy I think is a good one that, you know, kids very obviously like have their DNA from two sets of parents and, you know, from their whole f family line. And there's a lot of things that are passed down generationally, but, you know, each kid is their own unique expression and they all turn out totally different, even though Absolutely. they came from like the same, you know, two, two parents. And so it's definitely a good, yeah, it's a good a reference or an analogy to this idea that, you know, it's okay to have parents and it's okay to have DNA like influences and you know, people who look at you might even be like, oh, I can see your father in this or, oh, like you know, this is sort of reminds me of this influence. But it is about you kind of combining all those different things into something that is new and it's about you and expressing what that is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Cool. So <laughs> I love conversations like this, you know, and we're yeah. kind of taking the, to the 20,000 foot level right now. And maybe we can kind of come back down to earth a little bit and talk about some like practical tools and things that someone that's listening to this right now can apply today to leverage these new developments and the, these new opportunities as it relates to music. So maybe specifically, you know, you mentioned one music production tool that's an AI-based tool. It's for creating vocals. What was that called again? And how do you spell that? Yes, it's called Lawlaws. So it's spelled L-A-L-S dot com. So yeah, so you go to Lawlaws and you can see all the different artists that are there. So they've got Drake, Ed Sheeran, Ariana Grande, Beyonce, tons of other ones on there. There's even like spoken words. So if you wanted to, I don't have some spoken word, you could have SpongeBob say it or something, all kinds uh -huh. of people. So it's really cool. All the different voices that are in there. And I did a, or I have a video coming out soon. That's like a review that kind of breaks down how to use it and so on. And you can hear that it's not perfect. There's some artifacts in there, different voices handle your input better than other ones. So depending on how you sing your range, right? Some artists will handle it better than other ones, but overall it's really impressive and it sounds really cool. So you can try it out. You can just like upload audio or you can record directly into the web app. That is awesome. Um, look at the page right now. Yeah. There's some really free nice ones. Designed. There's some free voices in there. And then there's like a paid tier where if you want access to, to more of the artists. Hmm. Super cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I wonder what they're built on and what AI platform that they're like plugging into, or if it's like a totally proprietary one. But I'm um, not sure. Looks great. Yeah, I'm definitely would recommend checking this out. I, I'm going to check this out. So this looks like a great resource as a way to explore um, creating different voices. And again, I, I we're this this is definitely not legal counsel. So you know. Uh, check the current um, legal status of commercializing especially but you know you're working with these different models but man it would be a really cool idea to like i think that one principle of promotion or one marketing channel that is has always been a valuable marketing channel is you know, quote unquote influencer marketing you could call it like partner marketing but this is like you know if you got an opportunity to open on tour for ed sheeran then you know there's, that's a huge marketing opportunity because all of Ed Sheeran's fans can get presented to you and you can you, know, you can start to build a relationship with them. Not everyone's gonna have an opportunity to go on tour with Ed Sheeran. So another way of doing this is through doing cover song of an Ed Sheeran song. You know, so if you cover one of Ed Sheeran's songs, then you're going to, you'll be able to tap into an audience of people that are fans of Ed Sheeran. And some of those people might like your version of his song. It's another way to, you know, to promote and kind of get in front of a an audience of fans. And so when I see something like this, one place that my mind goes to is, man, what if there was a channel or a way for you to just create and release a bunch of songs or cover songs or original songs where you are just doing features with the most well-known artists in the world and, you know, and you release those songs with, you know, featuring that, the AI version of that artist, it'd be another way to accomplish kind of the same thing of, you know, rubbing shoulders with that artist and people who are fans of the artist. And it'd probably be pretty fun. But yeah. again, legally, probably, I think there's yeah. some implications here. At that point, you probably would have to 
acknowledge somewhere in the credits or something that's AI and it's not actually them or in the description. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's su super important, right? Like yeah. with, with all, I think transparency and not being deceptive is really important for using AI and tool tools like this. Yeah. But yeah, I watch, we, we talked about yeah. deep fix. There's this one YouTube channel. I think it's hilarious, but he'll take famous people and deep fake them, but he'll make it clear that it's AI. So you had like Jordan Peterson on a podcast with Joe Rogan talking about the merits of Mario Brothers and stuff. So it's like completely <laughs> fake conversation, but it's like really, it sounds exactly like them. It's like the same phrasing, the same cadence. So it sounds really, you can tell it's AI slightly, but it's like hard to tell sometimes, but. I feel like I'm running on a limited clock here. And we're probably, we've got some pretty good training data for Michael Walker on the Modern Musician podcast. Yes, it will probably would be not that hard in five to 10 years to just create something that sounds like me that can have conversations. I promise, you know, I'm not an AI. I'm a human right now, I think, unless I, unless it's like <laughs> one of those things that you're just like, Oh, like I was the AI the whole time. Ah, but anyways, yeah, really interesting as an idea. And it's something I would explore if anyone's listening to this right now, I think this is a huge opportunity and it, I, I haven't heard of someone doing this yet. It wouldn't surprise me if someone's you know, played around with this idea, but I do think that there's gonna be someone who takes this idea and just like knocks it out of the park, just doing a bunch of collaborations with well-known artists that you've always wanted to collaborate with, but just like using using that platform to be able to collaborate with them and do a song with them. And again, this is definitely not legal counsel, so you'd, especially with this, you'd wanna be careful with it. I know with cover songs, generally people are a little over-concerned with like covering an Ed Sheeran song or something and posting it on YouTube. Like for the most part, if you're not directly selling it or monetizing it and you're just you know putting it on YouTube to you know provide value and you use it as a promotional tool, then in general, you're not going to get in trouble for that. And a lot of these platforms have blanket um, licenses where it's okay to do cover songs. And Yeah, the way it seems to work is they'll just automatically recognize, hey, this is an Ed Sheeran song and they'll take for the revenue and just give it to, to Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some like revenue sharing uh, capabilities now with it. And, and I think that technically the person, like the owner of the song has the right to say, you know what? I don't want this cover song to be up. I right. like to take this down. And that's totally within their rights. But most people yeah, yeah. don't run into that because it's basically free promotion for them. So it's not a bad thing. So I would expect that this can go into a similar category where if you did a really awesome collaboration with Ed Sheeran that was just like that people loved and it was getting millions of views, then Ed Sheeran would probably be like, huh, like that's as long as you weren't doing it in a way that was, I don't know, like clearly monetizing it, you're like selling like the song itself or uh, doing it, doing something else that didn't reflect well on his image or his brand, then I think it would probably be above the belt if you're transparent about it. Again, yeah, it's worth we have a member exploring. on our team. Worth exploring. We have, we have a member on our team now who's like got a really deep background in like legal counsel. And recently he was like, yeah, if, if anyone ever like talks about something like this, it's just important to give it back, you know, some context that we aren't giving legal counsel. So I'm probably overdoing it here, but, but it is true. Like, you know, it's the landscape is changing so quickly at even what we're talking about right now, things might've evolved since between now recording this and you listening to it. So it's good to see kind of what the current state is. Zooming back out. I mean, this tool is awesome. Uh, I think this is a great resource for people to tap into. Any other ideas or things that you've seen recently as it relates to practical tools and technologies for people to be able to leverage some of these new developments in AI? Yeah, when it comes to right now, that is like the leading the way is Isotope, and they've been using it for quite a while, actually, before kind of before chat GTP arose and everything. So yeah, I've got really good tools. For example, I don't, I haven't tried this out myself yet, but they just came out with a new version of their Nectar vocal plugin. And what that can do is add like automatic, like backing vocals to you or make automatic like doubles of your voice and harmonies. So that's another thing that can really speed up times. If you've ever tried to record lots of layers, that can take a long time. They've got AI built into their mastering plugin that can like listen to your song and depending on you know, what type of style you're going for, it can kind of give you some EQ and some compression to, and set your, your limiter to the correct standards. So if you don't really know anything about mastering, that's kind of a quick way of 
getting at least up to commercial standards. And so, yeah, they have a lot of good tools for AI. They also have a Neutron uh, tool, which is kind of for everything, whether it's like drums or guitars, whatever instruments, it can have like different AI settings where it listens to it and kind of can put on different effects. So that can be, again, just like with chat GPT, I wouldn't like use the AI and just leave it. I would, you know, kind of use that as inspiration, as creativity to get you in the right, going in the right direction. And then you tweak it from there. Use your ears, always use your ears. Uh, and then kind of just use it as a shortcut, as a shorthand, as an assistant, basically, as a mixing assistant is kind of a good way to use AI. Mm. Super cool. Yeah, so it sounds like Isotope has a sort of a suite of some great products that are already using AI. Really interesting uh, vocal plugin, it sounds like, that can create the harmonies and the doubles and save a lot of time there. Uh, another one that comes to mind that I'd love to, to hear if you have uh, any experience with this or, or any other tools that are like this, but it seems like there's been a lot of tools lately around creating automatic stems from songs like you upload a file hmm. and then it can break it down into the different stems i think band labs has a tool that lets you basically do that which could be really helpful for learning and kind of learning how to arrange songs and learning how to basically produce and, and mix better is just like breaking down well-known songs into the stems and then you can also play around with them. I can imagine it could be really helpful for like remixing if you're doing remixing of songs. For sure, yeah. I hadn't heard about any of those tools before, but that makes sense that those would exist. Yeah, it, so I think Band Labs was the one that I saw most recently that they had like a free tool where you could just you know, pull in any audio sample and it would break it down into the stems automatically. And it was like wow, pretty astounding how good of a job it did too. Apple... I has like a karaoke thing that they released where you can on any Apple Music song now you can low you can change the vocal stem and like bring it down to zero so you can sing along with it if you want and like mix in the original sound. Wow, uh, so that one's interesting. Yeah, I know Isotope's uh, RX tool is good at that. It can you can separate the take the vocal out or um, isolate it from the, the instrumentation. So they have a tool built into that. Um, mm. So that's another one that's good for that element. I know Splice has explored some ideas around AI and mixing AI with their workflow. I think the way that they do it is you can click a few buttons and they collect the the different loops and they can kind of give you like a head start doing the loops. Have you used that tool yet or do you have any thoughts no. about okay. No, I haven't seen that. I have seen some other AI tools out there that can kind of like you choose, I don't remember the name of it, but you can like choose your genre and what instruments you want. And then it kind of will like write the whole song for you. Mm. <laughs> so it has wow. like everything. So I'm like, I don't know about that. Cause it's like, well, then where's the artistry if AI is writing the whole song for you? I think people are mostly using that like YouTubers and influencers to get original music that they don't have to license to use in their videos. But that's something to be aware of. Yeah. I, I don't know for sure what's going to happen, but I, I would be pretty concerned if I was a musician that was my primary focus was the sync licensing of, of the songs for like yeah. libraries. I, I do feel like that's one of the prime use cases where people right. can quickly without any sort of licensing, like copyright issues can like generate something for their specific use case. And it's, it'd be, I feel like that's going to take a big chunk out of the market. Yeah, I think the response to that would just be to embrace artistry, building a, a brand mm -hmm. around your music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think that the ability to create communities, like I think communities are something that can't be generated by AI. It's like one of the last things that we'll probably have is live shows and community coming together as humans, as people, because that's like such a core human need. It's like one of the core values of music. And that's not something that you can get with, it's like, it wouldn't have the same effect if you went into a room with 10, 100 AI people and, you know, and you were trying to enjoy this music together. Yeah, I also think whenever you have a swing in technology like that, you always have a pushback eventually because people want what they can't have. And like, this was big when I was learning at that commercial recording studio is like, we'd have people come in and they say, oh, I want to use, I'm going to record to tape. Like mm -hmm. not use a tape plugin, but actually record to tape because they wanted, like it looked cool. I wanted to be different, you know, and mm -hmm. David Sachs, he wrote a book called Revenge of Analog, talked about this and how you had the rise of vinyl 
right? With with the, the younger generation, right? Not older people, you know, feeling nostalgia. It was the younger generation that was buying the vinyl. And even like in the genre of music that I'm in, synthwave, you have cassette tapes coming back because mm-hmm. it's like based on the 80s and stuff. So people, yeah. you do see people do eventually return to wanting some physical things with everything going digital. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Yeah, I think that one thing as it relates to the rise of the reactivation of, of vinyl and like cassettes is it seems like what's driving that isn't necessarily, you know, the technology of vinyl or the technology of cassettes. It's not like, you know, like cool, like I'm going to like listen to these now or it's like you know, this is the best way to, to listen to it. It does seem like what's driving that is mostly around the collectability of them, like the collect- being a collector of them and having something tangible that you can hold on to, you can look at, you can look at the collection, and you can kind of see it. I mean, one of our biggest goals with Modern Musician is to create what we're calling the Music Relic Marketplace, which is a music NFT marketplace where people can collect digital um, versions of the songs, that there is a limited amount of them, and you can basically have a showcase where you can see you know, which of which music relics do you own from different artists? So for example, I don't know, maybe you own one of 10 of the editions for Let It Be by the Beatles. Um, that'd probably be really cool if you had one of those. And in, you, it would probably be worth now more now than it was, you know, back before the Beatles were the Beatles. But right, so it does creating like, like the bill. Yeah. yeah, creating digital scarcity, because right, before NFTs, anything digital could be copied, you know, endlessly. So yeah, that's where you can create that, that exclusivity and that collectability. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. Yeah, I think the exclusivity and the, the scarcity of it is pr- one of the most important parts of it. And the most the reason that the Mona Lisa is worth eight hundred million dollars isn't because it's an eight hundred million dollar experience to see the artwork on your wall. Because nowadays you can like print out a copy of the Mona Lisa and hang it on your wall. And most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference between like the original one versus the new one. So it's not like just the experience of you enjoying the artwork, but it's really about the ownership of that scarce, like limited asset that makes it worth $800 million. But, you know, people would pay $800 million for Mona Lisa, but you've never been able to pay more than a dollar for let it be by the Beatles. And it's like, why is that? Well, because like, like you mentioned, it's because it's, you know, infinite, it's, you know, it's a digital asset and there hasn't been a way to create true ownership or true scarcity and, until now with yeah. blockchain. Yeah. That's the solution is to provide more value because, you know, I'll see artists complain about, you know, streaming platforms and they'll fight back against that by, you know, not putting their music, not making their music available or trying to charge more making people feel bad for not paying more for their music and you feel bad because there's something to that you do put all this hard work into your music and it does feel like it's been you know commoditized and it's been devalued but the answer isn't to then not participate and to withhold and be restrictive i think it's to how can i give more value right i think like taylor swift one of her albums she like released a whole like book around it or something or I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, so I don't know exactly, but I remember seeing it at Target. So I think that's the answer is to go, how can I give more value? So like, yeah, having the NFT attached to it or other, what other physical things can you attach to the musical experience or even digital experiences? Mm, absolutely. Awesome. And speaking of the Gartner hype cycle, which you brought up earlier. As yeah, I probably that, learned that from you guys. Maybe. I don't remember <laughs> where I learned maybe. that. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I learned about really at the at the pop of the NFT bubble, because it, the NFT bubble clearly followed this you know, sort of Gartner hype cycle, similar to the internet, where there's a lot of hype. It's an amazing new technology. Some geeks who um, kind of who understand it, and it, but it's a very technical thing, and most people don't really understand the guts of like how it works. But there's some people who who get it or like, oh my gosh, this is going to change everything. And then for the people who don't really understand it there's a tendency to like overhype it and be like, oh yeah, like this is, you know, game changer and this is going to change all the things. And this, you know, gif of a hamster is worth a million dollars. Yeah. And then there's like a pop. It's like, okay, you know, maybe the gif of the hamster is not worth a million dollars, but then eventually, you know, it, it kind of, there's the slope of enlightenment, as they call it. And that's sort of when it becomes more of uh, how it becomes more understandable from the scope of it actually being used on a day-to-day basis. Like the internet, you know, once it wasn't just a, 
terminal where you like type uh, code in order to like access it and do crazy weird like geeky stuff. But it was actually used to like buy things online and to access resources online. Now it's actually you know understandable. Even if we don't get the guts of the technology and how it works, like you know post and get requests and like the actual like protocol of the internet. It doesn't mean that we don't understand the value of it because of the other benefits that it brings to us. So I really do think that the NFTs are a great example of that in terms of there's that hype, there's the bubble pop. And now I think we're about to start experiencing a little bit more of a slope upward and understanding that there are some industries and some things there is a valid use case for it. For sure. Definitely. Cool. Well, hey, man, this has been a fun conversation. <laughs> we've geeked out. We've you've gone 10,000 feet up in the air. We've come back down. We've talked about some of the tools people can use today to, to be able to grow their music career and improve their music mixes and productions. So thank you for taking the time to, to be here. And yeah, I had a ton of fun. Heck yeah. And for anyone that's uh, listening to this right now who's interested in learning more or diving deeper into uh, what you offer, could you share a little bit more about where they can go to dive deeper? Yeah, you can go check out my website, OrpheusAudioAcademy.com. And right now, most of the content I'm putting out is on my YouTube channel. So you can just look up Orpheus Audio Academy on YouTube. And yeah, I got tons of training and materials on how to produce pro quality music from home using budget equipment. Awesome. So like always, we'll put all the links in the show notes for easy access. And yeah, thanks again for taking the time to be here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah! Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode. <laughs>